0: This is Dr. Saba Marouf, and you are listening to Unsung Heroes, uncovering stories of inspiration and action here on Podcast Detroit. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Unsung Heroes Stories to Inspire here on Podcast Detroit. Our purpose here is to share amazing stories and unique narratives of individuals who have been sparked by their passion to become movers, shakers, and change makers in our communities. And, you know, our ultimate goal here is um, we hope that by sharing these stories of positivity, we will inspire you our listeners, to live a life of purpose and action. We've had some amazing past episodes. We've talked to community activists, artists, writers, filmmakers, leaders, uh, and each and every story has its own values and lessons. And um, I really encourage you to check out our past episodes in no particular order. But listen, subscribe, um, really share with your friends, and please, 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 if you can, leave a review because that really helps us out, that, you know, um, gives us feedback that we need because um, otherwise we really don't know who's listening, but I know that I get a lot of positive feedback from many of you and I really uh, appreciate um, the support and encouragement. So here we are. We're at episode 23. Um, this is uh, the beginning of our second season here. And, um, and I'm very excited and really humbled and honored um, to introduce our guest for the day. Um, and I'll also, before I do that, in our studio today, I am joined by Jess, our sound engineer. So here we are. Yes, we're here with Jessica in the studio as well with us today. Hello. And we're missing our co-host, Calvin Moore. He couldn't make it today, but I'm looking forward to a wonderful and amazing conversation with our guest, Nadia Hashimi. Hi, Nadia. Hi, how are you? I'm great. How are you? Good. Thanks. Excited to be here. I'm very excited, too. Thank you so much for your time and your energy. We really appreciate it. Um, just want to do a brief introduction, but I really want to let you do most of the talking. But um, Nadia is um, an Afghan, Afghan-American Afghan internationally best-selling author, public speaker, and And I love how the end the end is a pediatrician. She's also a physician. Her novels include The Pearl That Broke Its Shell, When the Moon is Low and A House Without Windows. And she's also written two middle grade novels, One Half from the East and The Sky at Our Feet, which is due um, for release uh, in March in March 2018. Um, She's an amazing writer, and I really um, had the privilege um, of—actually, we read one of her books in our book club, and she's awesome, and she Skyped in, and we had this great discussion um, with the author, with Nadia, so that was really cool. Um, She's an amazing writer, and her books have been translated into 12 languages and have received starred reviews and have been voted as finalists for Goodreads Books of the Year. She's also a board member for—is that Ashiana Foundation? Is that how you say that? That's it. That's right. Um, which is an organization that supports educating and feeding Afghanistan's most vulnerable children. She lives with her husband and four children in Maryland. So welcome, Nadia. Thank you so much for being on.
1: Thrilled to be here. So
0: just, you know, um, again, like I've, I think yeah, I've read all three of the books that I mentioned. Um, I have not read, read your two middle grade novels as of yet. Um, but, I love your writing. Um, I love how you really take the reader back into um, into what life was like in Afghanistan um, before um, the war you know before the Russian I guess we'd call the Russian invasion, and also you know um, before the war on terror. Um, so I guess I want to ask you, how did you get into writing and decide to write? these books because I think it really offers your writing and uh, books really offer a window to um, a culture and country that many people don't know about. But I think they come out with a much richer um, knowledge and perspective uh, because of um, you sharing those uh, writing and experiences with us.
1: Sure, sure. sure. You know, well, the reason um, I guess I can tell you the reason why I started and then the logistics of how the idea for writing religious came about and um, we may have talked about this during the, um, the book club that we did together over Skype, but, um, so you may know this story already, but that's okay. I'll share it again so that the others can hear it yes. for me. Um, you know, I got married in 2008 and my husband and I about in that first year of marriage, you think there's a lot that you need to learn about the person that you're getting married mm-hmm. with, you know, being married is just very different. And, um, and so we went on, uh, like a week, a long weekend getaway. Uh, just a beach vacation and when we kind of you know unpacked our stuff at the beach um, my husband kind of you know just had his towel and sunglasses and and I had like a stack of books and so very quickly he realized that when I went somewhere my goal was really just to dive into these books and read stories and just be transported by them because I've i I'm always been a reader and uh, and he was like, so we're not going to talk. And I was like, uh, that's not what I came here for. <laughs> yeah, I'm the same
0: way. I can totally relate.
1: <laughs> yes. I'm like, I really this um, is me time. <laughs> exactly, exactly. This was like my getaway. So, um, but you know, it's not that I don't love speaking with my husband. I do. But it was just one of those things that we had to learn each other's practices and habits. Yeah. So what happened there was that he kind of, you know, watched me reading for a bit. And then he said, you know, you love stories so much. You're a good writer. Why don't you write a story? And sometimes you just need someone to plant that little bug in your head. Hmm. And I couldn't get the idea out of my head. I said, you know what? Maybe, maybe I will. And so then the next step from there was, well, if I do sit down to try to write a a book, um, you know, what would I write about? The next, that, that, that question was answered pretty simply because, you know, my family's from Afghanistan. My parents came over in the early part of the 70s. And so I grew up with this um, very strong awareness of all that was happening in Afghanistan, watching it from afar being really appreciative for the fact that I did not have to go through the struggles that, you know, girls or women or the families that were enduring through the years of war and these up and down in different regimes and the extremism and all of that. I didn't have to go through that. And so, you know, looking back at my history, at the time that I was graduating high school and setting my sights on college, girls my, who were my counterparts in Afghanistan were being told that they could not go to school at all. That education was nothing um, that they needed, and it was just not part of um, the world of a girl. So my experience was really different, and I always wanted to talk about that. You know, the challenges that these women and girls faced, the stories of people who were forced to leave the country to get their families out, who were in danger, who saw some really ugly parts of war and then had to redefine themselves and reestablish their lives in a whole new terrain. Um, and those those pathways how did they get from point a to point b? All of these stories that circulated around my family that were in the on the kitchen table that we would talk about you know the the around the dining room table all of that was the fuel, the inspiration for writing these stories.
0: Hmm. Wow. And I actually did read a little bit about how the first time I mean you had written something in the first t- or when you were getting in touch with um uh, like an agent, like a literary agent or a public, public, uh, publishing company. And I think yes. you were pregnant at the time.
1: I was. So when, actually the first time that I started writing uh, my first manuscript, I was expecting. And so this the, the timing just kind of coincided. I said, well, let me start this project. And I should finish it before a baby comes into our home because I, I, I think that's a good <laughs> deadline to set for myself. And I probably won't get that much more done um once we have a new baby in the house. I kind of had some expectations there. So a bit realistic. Yeah. Um and 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 that's what I did. And so I set some goals for myself and I said I need to finish it before this baby comes and I need to get it off to literary agents. And and that was all just me Googling, you know, how do you get a book published? What do you do with the manuscript? Um so I found some literary agents and I I think about two weeks before my due date I had sent out those manuscripts and gotten them onto, you know, followed all the requirements, literary agents said. And I was in labor when I got a phone call from an agent. And I didn't pick up the phone because I don't think I would have had a very, you know, <laughs> normal sounding voice labor. <laughs> at the moment. And I was in labor and so it just seemed like not the time to be answering phone calls. Um, but I passed the phone off to my husband because she called the second time and I said, I don't want to miss this. It was really exciting. I mean, the whole day was exciting anyway, but this was just another layer of excitement. And so my husband, who, you know, at that moment was very willing to do anything.
0: So you gave your husband so that the phone? Was our, that yeah. was our
1: first interaction. That was when the story got picked up. And then from there, she launched it off to some uh, an editor that she knew. And that next phone call was equally memorable, standing in the frozen food section of Whole Foods when <laughs> I got that phone call. And, and then we knew that we had a contract for the story. And, and that's how it happened.
0: Wow, that is a, that's a really funny story. Uh, I mean, just, you know, it's very symbolic, too, as you... We're bringing a new, you're bringing two lives into the world in that experience. Um, Yes, two
1: labors of love, I can tell you that.
0: Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Um, So, you know, again, your books are primarily set in Afghanistan and why, you know, I guess um, we talked a little bit about this, but if you can go into it, like, you know, why is it important to you to share these characters and their stories and how... Um, you know i don 't know if you visited Afghanistan or I think you went later, but how did these experiences of being in the country help shape your identity also as a woman of Afghani descent, as an American, um, but as someone that you know has the ability to share um, these stories and these voices
1: you know I think for me. I I really set out to start writing about the challenges that these women were facing, that girls were facing, because like I said, I grew up with this really acute awareness that I was lucky to have the opportunities that I had. My parents would have raised me the same way had we lived in Afghanistan or, or you know, the way they did the, having lived in the United States. So my family dynamic would have been the same, but the outside world, the the context we were living in, the opportunities they would have been able to give me would have been vastly different. You know, my mom is someone whose family encouraged her to to pursue her education to um, the highest degree, and, and she became an engineer in Afghanistan, went to Kabul University, became a civil engineer, and then from there won a scholarship and went on to Europe and got her master's in engineering there. So, you know, education and, and, and opportunity and aspirations have always been something that our families really, really encouraged for all girls, for all for all members of the family, but it just wouldn't have happened. So in writing about those challenges that girls were facing, what I was realizing is that you start writing about that, you start writing about a girl or a woman who's going through that kind of situation, who's facing those kinds of obstacles, and if you try to draw inspiration from what's actually happening in Afghanistan, you end up writing about a heroine. You end mm-hmm. up writing about a woman who is so strong, who really you know, rises above everything that's being thrown on her, and, uh, and that's what was really exciting about writing these stories, was being able to shed some light not only on the challenges that women in Afghanistan were facing, but also about what they were doing to get themselves out of that situation and how hard they were working to fight for their rights, to stand up for, for their role in the future of the country and redefining themselves in, in light of you know, the ousting of the Taliban.
0: Wow. And what is the response, um, what have the responses been to your books, Um, especially from readers that are not familiar with Afghanistan or her people?
1: The responses have been um, really powerful. I mean, what happens in book clubs is that women have sometimes the same reaction that I had growing up of that, you know, my gosh, I'm so glad that I don't live in a situation like that. I don't know what I would do if I had to live under those circumstances. But uh, what I really love is when the conversation circles back to, well, how does this relate to my life? You know, how, how is it not different from my existence? Mm-hmm. And are there issues or challenges that I have faced because I have been a woman um, living, working, raising a family in other parts of the world that are not Afghanistan that we would think would be vastly different? And in all honesty, after um, there was one woman who read my first novel, The Pearl That Broke Its Shell*, which is a, is a rough story about a young girl who is dressed as a boy and then becomes, at the age of 13, she becomes the, the fourth wife to a, a local warlord. And, and then we talk about in that book the, the dynamics of what it's like to be the boy in the family and how the, the different circumstances are for daughters versus sons and the, the preferential treatment that some families give to sons. Um, because there is some patriarchy in the culture. And this woman who was born and raised in the Midwest of America told me she could totally relate to that character because she said that she had a couple of brothers, she was the only daughter in the family, and that her parents had made it clear that they would save up some money for her brothers to go to ed- to, to college, um, but that she really wouldn't get a share of that. So we start to see ways that, uh, and that may seem extreme, but there are people who share stories like that with me. And so I think it's always really powerful to hear how people are able to connect their own stories with the narratives they're reading on the pages.
0: Wow. I think that's really important too, because it's it's easy to kind of exactly, right, talk about problems and situations and social constructs over there. Um, but I think that's, you know, through your stories, I think everybody can relate on a human level um, to sometimes feeling when things are unfair or things are not just or, you know, that sense of um, injustice and what you can do about it and rising above that. So out of all the books that you've written, um, which one, I don't know if you have a favorite, but which is your favorite and can you tell us a little bit about it?
1: That's a really tough question, mm-hmm. and I, I, but I get asked that question a lot, and I think I don't know if one day I'll come up with a different answer for it. But um, for now, the best thing that I can tell you is that that's like asking me to choose from my children, which <laughs> one of them is my favorite, and mm-hmm. I, I, I won't answer thing. that question either. <laughs> you know? um, but I think for me, each one of these stories is is different, and you know, I, I might like one for a certain reason more than another, but then there are certain things about each of them that that. Um, that I'm very fond of, like, you know, the first one that came out is something that's very memorable because that was my introduction to people. That was when I first started having conversations with readers. And, and that's huge, right, where you're mm-hmm. like, oh, my God, I wrote this book. But now people are reading it and they're talking about it and they're connecting with these characters and, and wanting to ask questions. And, and um, when people would tell me that, oh, I, I finished your book and then I started Googling, you know, X. And I love that. I love when people are like, mm. I finished your book, and then I started Googling whatever mm. it is, because it tells me that they were they were hungry to learn more. They wanted to know more, and so it just it, this was a spark, which I think is awesome. Um, and that's happened with, you know, The Pearl That Broke Its Shell. Um, my book, When the Moon is Low, I mean, one of the best things that I've gotten out of that book is actually just one young woman who wrote to me and told me that um, she and her mother... Are at different ends of the spectrum when it comes to politics, and particularly around the issue of immigration and refugees. And so she shared that book with her mother during a time where they were a bit estranged. They hadn't been talking much. There was a strain on their relationship. And she said, after a couple of months, one day her mother called her and said, I see things differently now. And the conversation just started again. She said, You've healed this big gap between my mother and I, this divide that we have not been able to get through in conversation, but the story did something. And, you know, it doesn't matter if I don't sell a single other copy of that book, just reading that email just, I mean, brought tears to my eyes because to restore a relationship or just open that door between a mother-daughter, I think is, is huge, you know. Um, and the children's books, obviously, we've, we've had really stimulating conversations with young people, mother-daughter book clubs who've read the story together and started talking about issues of gender. Um, and then some of it is just fun stuff, you know. Like I went to a um, a book event in Minnesota, and I was introducing my third adult book, which is about a woman who's accused of murdering her husband. And there was this group of uh, a little bit older. Women who came up to me and said they had just heard the premise of the book. It was just about a a woman who was accused of murdering her husband. They came up to me and they said, "This sounds so interesting." (laughs) And I got such a kick out of it because I said, "Well, should I be worried? (laughs) What's going on?" But you know, so there's just the different kinds of responses. Each book is has its own impact.
0: Yeah, I can see that. We did, um, you know, just for our listeners that haven't read any of them or um, when the moon is low, I recommend that to anybody that... um as you mentioned, it's about refugees and about a family that's a refugee. And, and you wrote it before, um, you know, there was all this talk about, I guess, the refugee crisis, especially from Syria. Um, but there's there's so much in that book that you can learn um, about the refugee experience and what these what so many people, thousands of people are going through right now. Um, you really bring that alive. And I think the m- most powerful thing, as you've noted, is just humanizing um, again, you know, with the pol- with politics and with our recent history. It's really easy to otherize and to forget that there's um, names and faces and stories. And um, you really bring um, the human side um, to all these stories and really, you know, in in essence to our history and our current events, really.
1: Thank you for saying that. I think, you know, the the refugee crisis is one that I... I there are lots of different ways of looking at it but, um, and, and, and building policy. But at the end of the day, I think the, the core should really be that we approach the issue, and it is an urgent one, but we need to approach it as humanely as mm-hmm. possible and understand that we're not just talking about statistics. We're talking about, um, about human lives, and these are humans that have uh, vast potential. You know, I, I have family members who have been refugees. My husband was a refugee at a point in his life And he's today a practicing neurosurgeon who helps a great many people in this area. So I always tell folks, you know, refugee is not a terminal diagnosis. Mm -hmm. This does not mean that that's all this person can be. Um, And we just need to approach it with with that in mind, that this is something that we can help, that we can fix.
0: Wow. So you're a physician, you're a published author, and and you're a mother, a mother of four. I don't know how you do it when you... Find, you know, carve out that special time to read and write because I mean, it's just, it's definitely a challenge. But you, you know, you've accomplished so much, and yet um, I know that you're continuing to give back to your community um, and country. And um, can you share with us your latest endeavor um, and tell us a little bit about that? Because I wanted you to kind of bring that up.
1: Happily, yes. Um, So, my latest endeavor, as you are, are hinting at, uh, is that I have decided to run for Congress here in Maryland in the sixth district. So I'm running as a Democrat, and um, and this is a, a very recent decision, but one that I've made um, not lightly. It's one that I'm taking very seriously because I understand the responsibilities associated with it, and um, and what the the path is to even becoming a candidate and 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 engaging in this campaign. But you know, I'm doing this because we're at a moment in in time. When I am one of the people, just there are many of us, but I'm one of those who realized, you know, I've been working on lots of different things in real life. I've been a physician. I've seen families who have struggled with pharmaceutical costs. I have seen um, parents who are wondering how they're going to navigate through the social services network to get their child into the right resources, you know, based on um, the chronic diseases that their child might be facing or the, you know, the, the challenges that they might be having in school around bullying. And all of this tells me that I've got the experience. I've got solutions. I know what it's like. I, can, I have the empathy for people and I have the energy to push for real solutions. And so if I don't stand up and be part of the conversation, then I'm taking a moment for granted And if I can tell you there's one thing that my parents taught me, it's that you never take any opportunity for granted. And then that's why I'm really doing this. It's because I do believe that I can do good in that role. And if I don't stand up and push for myself in that position, then it's a moment lost.
0: Wow, that's amazing. So you made this announcement um, pretty recently, I believe. And how has your experience been so far? How's um, the support and... You know, how are you doing so far?
1: It's been, it's been a whirlwind. I mean, I've, I've always worked hard in my life, but my goodness, am I working hard now. You know? And wow. we really have only done um, a bit of a soft launch, so we're continuing this launch and, and gearing up for um, a more formal entry into the race. Um, so this, this podcast with you is a little bit of a sneak peek at what's going on. But I do intend for this to be a campaign that runs things a bit differently, just because I'm not, a, I'm not the standard politician. I, I, I'm not someone who's been very involved in the party and, and kind of that insider. Um, but I think we need a bit of a shakeup. I think we need some fresh energy. I think we need some people who are coming in with just a totally different perspective on things and some real-world experience. And that's what I hope to do. So right now I'm just building out the, the team. And um, one of the big necessary evils of politics is fundraising. It's really been mind-blowing to me to realize that um, you're, the metrics are dollars. The metrics mm-hmm. for a, a viable candidacy, it boils down to dollars, which I think is, is pretty sad. And we do have some regulations around it, but, you know, you, people can spend as much as they want on campaign, and then you have some people who come in and spend a ton, and other people who just logistically cannot raise that much money, um, but that's not, in my mind, the best measure of a candidate. You know, the one who can just flood the airways um, because mm. of that, you know, financial capability. So, I think there's a lot to to talk about, even on the campaigning itself. And I do wish, and that's going to be part of what I'm going to do, is to kind of pull back the curtain a little bit and share my journey with others. Let them know what obstacles I'm facing, how tough it is. Um, and so I will start, you know, maybe doing some video blogging and, and kind of sharing that with people, because I think we need more everyday people running for office, representing our own communities. But we can't do that if we feel like, you know, we are here and politics is over there. We need to bridge that so that everyone has a chance to get involved.
0: Wow. What are some of the main issues um, that are on your platform?
1: Well, for sure, my my one big issue is healthcare. care. Um, I think that's something that I can speak to with some authority, some experience. Um, I also have a large network of physicians, so I've been talking with a lot of the people that I'm in touch with to get their perspectives, too, because I have mine, but I don't think that a representative should only represent their own views. We should really be representing the views of our colleagues, of our peers, of our um, communities. Um, So our views should be diverse as well. Um, and then on the other issues, I think everything that I want to advocate for should have a forward-thinking platform to it. So the way my parents made their decisions as first-gen, as you know, immigrants in this country, every decision they made was based on what kind of future they could give me, what kind of future they could give my brother, and I think that's how we have to approach the issues as well. So when I look at immigration, which is really important to me, when I look at education or the economy or the environment or women's rights. It's all about, you know, what decisions can we make today that will give the next generation, the generation after that, a more solid foundation? Because if we want America to be successful and to stay, you know, the, the that land of hope that it is, we've got to build a solid foundation for it.
0: Wow, amazing. Um, and our listeners can find out more about you. Um, you have a, a, a beautiful website. Um, it's Nadia Hashimi for Congress, H-A-S-H-I-M-I is the spelling of your last name. Um, so, wow, that is so exciting. And I'm uh, so glad that we were able to share that uh, very exciting development. Um, and our listeners can um, go on your website um, and learn more about you um, and also ha- uh how to, you know, help your campaign as well. Um, and I really hope that, um, we have some people that will do that because, um, wow, this is really amazing. I mean, you're really, I mean, talking about stories of inspiration, it's like you, nothing, nothing stops you. And I think, that's that's awesome. Um, that takes a lot of bravery and Thank courage. Too.
1: But I, I, I have to say that I can only do all of this with the support of my husband, um, of my family, even my kids. You know, when they when I talk to them, they're like, Mommy, why are you working so late these days? And Aww. I told them this is what I want to do. And, and they were like, oh, OK. And even <laughs> they felt that this was important enough that they could sacrifice some of our time together, at least for now. Um, but it's truly, I mean, my husband's been such a such a rock and, um, and always that person that's cheering me on to do bigger, to do bolder, and and to feel like I can accomplish these things. Um, So my family in general, my parents, everybody, it's without their support. um, I don't think any of this would be possible.
0: Wow. How old are your kids?
1: Seven, six, three, and almost two.
0: Wow. I mean, that's like a young family, too, and um, you have really accomplished so much. And just being a mom is definitely a full-time job. Um, I don't know how you do it um, as someone... That, it's it also yeah, a mama for and I, the part time.
1: is hard, but um, not as hard as bedtime with four <laughs> children. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> I can definitely, I'm with you on that one. That's definitely the hardest time <laughs> of the day for us, too. Um, wow, well wonderful. Um, I just want to read this quote also from um, from your from the website um, your campaign website i 'm a problem solver, a listener, a scientist, and a doer. This is a chance to make much needed change changes, and I take no opportunity for granted. I bring a fresh voice and a diversity of real experiences to the table, and I insist on a brighter tomorrow and I think that really sums up kind of um, you know everything that we 've talked about um so thank you so much. Thanks for sharing um, so much. Uh, you know, thank you for sharing yourself in your writing and your stories. And again, shedding light to the people of Afghanistan. Um, and their very important stories. Um, and, you know, again, being a source of inspiration. Uh, I think it's I've really noticed that a lot of people that might not have ran ever have even considered running for political office. But it's kind of like the time is now. And, you know, um, if you feel like you have something to offer and you have your strengths and in, um, in the technical, but also just the emotional and relational aspects, then then you know do it. It's like it's really like the time is now, and I'm really excited for all the people, so no, many people I that are running that. And,
1: and and I agree with you. I think, but I also would add that inspiration is a gift that um, that multiplies, and so. You know, sometimes people will read my stories and feel inspired, and when they reach out to me, that inspires me to do more. And so it is this, it is a gift that keeps on giving, and uh, and I, I love that it circulates. So the more inspiration we have around us, the more it just builds momentum, and we, I love that we can continue to inspire one another.
0: Definitely. I think that's so true. Thank you so much, and I'm really looking forward to your book um, that's coming out in March, The Sky at Our Feet. So we'll definitely look out for that. Um, and thank you. Anything else that you want to end with? Thank you so much, Nadia.
1: No, I just want to say I think it's awesome that you're doing this podcast and bringing out these voices. And I've enjoyed listening to the, the people that you've been interviewing. Just, uh, it's, uh, it's incredible to hear about stories that we sometimes don't hear. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm glad that you're doing it and bringing a, a fresh take to the heroes.
0: Oh, thank you so much. Um, you know what, sometimes on Fridays, I'm a, so I record the show on Fridays, um, for our listeners are listening to past episodes and everything. And sometimes I'm a little bit tired at the end of the week. But really, it's just amazing to be able to hear to, to first learn about um, the different people that we've had on and then have these co- amazing conversations and really be able to share them. And that's really, um, that's kind of the point of this is kind of a fresh new medium. And um, a lot of people are tuning into podcasts. So we kind of thought, you know, why not? There's, there's a lot going on in the country and in the world. And But there's still, like you said, so much positivity. So why not share it, you know, and inspire other people? That's right.
1: We need these stories. We need them desperately.
0: Yes. Well, thank you so much, Nadia. And thank you so much to our listeners for being here and um, supporting us. Um, Please, again, check out our past episodes. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher. I think we're also on iHeartRadio. And SoundCloud. Oh, and SoundCloud. I always forget about SoundCloud. And also our website um, through the network, which is um, www.podcastdetroit.com. And you can look for our tab under the shows. And um, please, again, please listen and really share um, and leave a review. Again, if if I can ask for one favor, it would be to please leave a review that just kind of encourages us and encourages other people to listen. So thanks, everyone. And we will see you next time with another episode of Unsung Heroes. Bye.